0: You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the Internet. Serious talk about the sacred book.
1: I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast, The Bible for Normal People. Today, our conversation is about moving beyond or moving past patriarchy. And we're talking with Carolyn Custis James, uh, an author as well as an adjunct professor at Biblical Theological Seminary. And we're talking um, quite a bit today about Genesis. We go into those narratives. We talk about feminism, patriarchy, and a lot of it is how we read our Bibles and, and what is what is Paul doing, what is Genesis doing, and how is it part of a patriarchal culture, and how is it getting us out of, or the trajectory is to resist that same culture. So we talk about patriarchy And by that, uh, and I'm not going to actually ruin it, because Carolyn defines it for us, and uh, so you'll just have to listen to that as we go along here. But it was a really interesting and helpful conversation, particularly because uh, Carolyn's, um, I guess, her context of being uh, in the evangelical world, just a grace and a sensitivity, and yet this non-compromising, confident posture about the work that needs to be done. One of the things that strikes me most about Carolyn and and how she talks is the sensitivity uh, around inclusion, and that we've often created these binaries or these black and white either-or options. And she keeps coming back to the heart of being inclusive, this radical inclusivity of making sure that no one is left out. And roots that and grounds that in the scriptures and in the life of Jesus. And so that was a a really poignant point that I think will will stick with me for quite some time. So let's get into this conversation around moving past patriarchy with Carolyn Custis-James.
2: Patriarchy creates power pyramids, where somebody's at the top and there are a lot of people at the bottom. And and our culture does that all over the place. What I've come to see is that patriarchy is not the message, it's the backdrop to the message.
1: Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing.
3: And just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And that's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. microdose.com. Promo code normal people.
2: Well, welcome, Carolyn,
1: to the podcast. Thank you. Well, we want to jump right in to this conversation and give you a chance maybe to talk about your own story and how it connects to some of the things that you're interested in as it relates to the Bible and some of the things you teach and, and write about. So what's your story? Give us a little background and how it connects with some of the things that you do.
2: Well, I grew up in a pastor's home. I was raised on the Bible. Uh, I was not somebody who colored outside the lines. I, you know, was pretty much following um, what I was being taught and just loved all the Bible teaching that I grew up on. I think that really set me up for what I'm doing now. A uh, real love of scripture and uh, learning a lot from my parents on that. But in the church, the message that I got as a woman, and not just from the church, but just from the Christian community as a whole, was that I would find my true fulfillment as a woman when I became a wife and mother. And I'm really uh, deeply aware of the fact that when we hit roadblocks or struggles in our stories, they, they can be life-changing in really uh, good ways. Um, not every struggle is, a, is a, you know, a good thing. Some struggles are very tragic. But God works in those moments to open our eyes to things and to take us deeper. At least that's what happened for me. After college, I hit a 10-year stretch of singleness And it was like the bottom dropped out.
0: So that was pretty traumatic then based on how you were raised to think.
2: Right. I mean, I expected to go to college, but I also expected that, I mean, it's really like you expect some wonderful guy to show up and you're going to do his story. You don't have a story. Hmm. Um, And it really felt like that for me. And, uh, what it what it made me start doing over time. I mean, it. I I had a deep struggle with God, and you know, has He forgotten me? Has He, uh, you know, because I'd see other people's stories moving forward, and mine felt like it was going nowhere. Uh, and actually, it was going places. I just didn't realize how God was working in in me at that time. But it made me look at different things in the Bible from a different angle. Like, you know, when you read the creation narrative and it's talked about as marriage, well, if you're not married, it's not talking to you. You're not in that discussion. And uh, you're, just a, a lot of things where my own, my own struggle was a. Was a theological struggle, you know, who is God and does he care about me and where are we in all of this? But it was also a struggle about what it means to be a woman. And what happened to me over time was that I began to look at other women's stories. Um, I was looking for answers for me, but then I started seeing how other women's stories weren't following the script, uh, sometimes because they had a different calling or sometimes because things fell apart in their in their lives, you know, women who were divorced or widowed or who couldn't have children or were others who were single or maybe had something physically uh, that they were struggling with. And so my questions got bigger. And um I went back to the Genesis narrative to ask questions about what is God's message for his daughters. And I didn't want to leave anyone out. And the and the questions got bigger, you know, when we when 9-11 happened, I realized I wasn't asking for women in other cultures. Mm. I was just asking for women here. I mean our I think our theology tends to be very American and Western and you know myopic um
0: mine's actually eastern united states that's as far (laughs) as i know (laughs) i know well i have a lot of problems though don't emulate me
2: yeah well talk to me later
0: (laughs) you know what what you're saying carol i mean you you know one of your books is called half the church Mm. and i imagine many many people listening to this can connect immediately with what you're saying. And I have people very close to me who can connect with what you're saying. And just, you know, one, one thought that just jumped in my mind as you're talking about how your own struggles brought you to think differently theologically and ask different sets of questions. Mm-hmm. That is such a long and honored tradition. That, that's the Bible itself. You have later writers in the Old Testament engaging earlier traditions and asking a different set of questions because the circumstances demanded. Yeah. And as you know, from what I see, that's just what theologians do. We ask those kinds of questions in our context and ask, "What is God doing here?" It doesn't do us any good to talk about what God did. We need to talk about what God's doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, I appreciate your, your work and, and, and how you, you know, you take those kinds of questions very seriously and, and wrestle with them in ways, again, that I think a lot of people connect with and resonate with.
2: Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was me
0: saying you're doing a good job, by the way.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, it was a matter of desperation for me. You know, am I, am I in this story or am I out of it? And I think a lot of the ways we talk in the church, some people are more in the story than others. And I don't think it's just women who experience that. Um, you know, we, it, we want meaning and purpose and we want to contribute. And when you think your story doesn't matter, you um, I mean, when you look at the at the stories in the Bible, some of the women, especially, but also men, that that God is uh, making a point person at a certain time in history, often are people who are total nobodies. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you look at somebody like Hagar, who was a, was trafficked, a human, you know, who was trafficked for work, but then ultimately for sex. And, you know, she's the one who teaches us about the intimate side of God. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not some big name prophet. It's this nobody, you know, someone that they threw out when they finished using her. Um, so it's, yeah, it just sort of changes your perspective when you, when you start to see, no, we're all in this story, and every life matters. And sometimes it's not the lives that stand out that matter so much; it's the lives we never hear about.
0: Well, Carolyn, where do you think? Because you're, what you're suggesting is a corrective. Where do you think that problem came from to begin with? Where, you know, why do we tell this story that marginalizes? Everyone but a select few. Why does the church do that? I, I think that's a huge question. It's hard to answer, but I think
2: it's a huge question. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think we have a a fallen value system when we look at people. Um, and and I, you know, one of the things that I that I think about with the gospel is that we domesticate it. We um, connect it with our culture's way of thinking. And I I think that Jesus is calling us to something we haven't seen. You know, when he says, my kingdom is not of this world, it's not a kinder, gentler way the world does things or just sort of a modification of... (laughs) you know, what you run into when you go out into the business world. It's, it's other, it's, it's, it's another world. It's a different kingdom. And it means different ways of looking at other human beings and valuing them. Um, You know, some of the language that gets used in the Bible, the, the apostle uses the language of anatomy. Well, if you stop to think of your own body, every every part of it is hugely important to you. And, you know, it, we don't think like that in the church. We have people who are are important and we, we uh, as, you know, ascribe leadership to them. We don't ascribe leadership to everybody. Um, but I think the Bible does. I think that's, if you're an image bearer, you're a leader. <laughs> you have responsibility for what goes on in God's world and responsibility to act. You're not a spectator. You're, you're an agent for the kingdom. So I think it's radical and there's, it's exciting to me because I think there's, there's more to it than we understand.
1: So within that, Carolyn, you know, Pete asked the question about where it comes from, maybe some of the challenge or the problem and where that originates. But What's the vision you have for, how, like, how can we read the Bible differently or how can we do better as a church to, to have this paradigm shift where we see everyone is equally important, where we bring the margins in for, give them a voice? And what, what do you see as, as effective strategies or practices for the church moving forward?
2: Well, I, it's really hard to answer that question because there's so many things that we consider to be sacred in the church that we can't talk about.
1: Hmm. What, yeah, what do you mean by that? What are some of those things? You
2: know, I think, you know, we don't have on honest conversations about patriarchy. And, um, you know, we, I think... We, we, sort of, we sort of define the boundaries of the conversation or what the, what the rules are of the game, and, we, and, it's, and it's hard to go beyond that. Um, for example, um, when we talk about gender in the church, we have two camps. You know, we have the complementarians and the egalitarians, and the complementarians um, define leadership, in terms of men are the ones that God has appointed to lead. And in the egalitarians say that um, leadership is determined by gifting. And, and I've really struggled with those categories because um, I don't think all, I think at some point, all of them break down and it's really frustrating for people when I say that I get, you know, it would be a lot easier for me if I picked a camp and just, you know, <laughs> but um, you
0: if you know, just play the game, if you just played the game, right, Carolyn, it'd be much easier.
2: Well, it's, you know, because it, it's, it's, you know, sort of like in politics, you know, are you a Republican or a Democrat, you know, and people want you to define yourself um, and in the church, they want to know. I mean, I've had phone calls from leaders in um, especially one of the groups that, you know, when my first book came out, that was, why didn't you take a position on ordination? And, and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm writing to a broader audience. And when women, when anybody comes across that statement in the book, they think it's that I'm not writing for them. You know that I'm writing about this argument, and I want—I want my goal in my work is to not leave anyone out in what I'm saying. Um, but you know, if you t- if you take those two positions, if you're a complementarian, you believe the man is the leader. You know, what am I supposed to do as a single? Mm-hmm. You know, am I headless? Or am I leaderless? What happens to the woman whose husband loses his job, you know, and she can get a good job? You know, it just, it doesn't you know, it breaks down for some people where they can't do it. You know, a woman loses her husband, you know, he leaves her or he doesn't want to be the leader or he dies, you know, so then where is she? And, you know, if we take the egalitarian message around the world, there are places where, where women will get killed. Mm. They'll get killed. And I believe in equality. I believe that's just, cemented into the creation narrative. Um, but you can't always live like that. you know there are cultures and there are families where you can't do that. and um, but you can live the gospel. you can live the gospel under a burqa. You can do that. you know and that's why I feel like we're talking about the wrong things um, instead of saying what is what do we need to do? To advance the kingdom of God wherever He has us, um, we're trying to fit into these roles that um, constrain us instead of um, inviting us into the mission of God.
3: Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants? and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever.
1: We got our bushes in
3: That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different.
1: There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on the Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much P and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at the Bible for Normal People.
3: It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu. Or email admissions at upsem.edu.
0: So, well, some people, I mean, you know, you've got a captive audience here. Some people might say, though, that that vision comes from the Bible itself because the Bible is fairly patriarchal. Yes. But I, I'm, you know, I'm sensing it. Of course, I know your work well enough to know that you're you 're willing to think differently about how to handle some of those passages and not just handle them differently but look at them from a different angle that 's almost i guess required by your own context in life. Is that a fair way of putting it?
2: Well yeah, I think you know when you when you look at when you start reading on page one of the Bible. You know, you don't have patriarchy. What you have in those first two chapters mm-hmm. is God creating human beings to rule creation, not to rule each other. And we are defined not by each other, but by our relationship with our creator, because we're created to be reflections of him, to be to participate in divine revelation, if you will, because we speak and act for him. Um, and, and when you have the fall is when that outward rule is turned laterally toward each other. And, um, you know, if you, if you look at the text in, in, you see how, the elements of patriarchy are overthrown in the Bible. I think the Bible dismantles it. And I was surprised to see that, but I think, you know, when you learn more about the patriarchal world, um, it's hard, it's, it's, the, the Bible reads differently. For example, um, I had, when we lived in Oxford, I had two friends. One was from Pakistan and the other was from India. And both of these women were really smart. One of them had her PhD. Um, and all of the North Americans over there were, you know, we loved our time there, but we looked forward to going home. And both of these women told me that they dreaded going home because their cultures were more patriarchal than we are here in the West, and they said they would come under the thumb of their mother-in-law and be treated as a child. And I wish I had thought to show them in the second chapter of Genesis, where it is talking about the implications of the creation of male and female for marriage and it says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife that's the opposite of how patriarchy works in patriarchy a woman becomes the property of her husband's family so you have an anti-patriarchal statement of the most fundamental nature in the second chapter of the bible
1: well, yeah. What, yeah, maybe with that, can you, I, I just think maybe some of our listeners don't necessarily track with all of what patriarchy means. Maybe, can you just define what you mean by that and where you see it in the Bible and, and maybe like Genesis 2, where you see it is resisted?
2: All right. Patri- patriarchy is defined as father rule. And it's a, it's a social system that is, has really impacted every culture in the world and um it it means that um sons are more important than daughters it means that um you have in in when you really have patriarchy you have polygamy you have slavery it's a part of it you have primogeniture which is a source of enormous conflict among sons it means that the firstborn is like the crown prince of the family and the men, the sons are the ones who inherit, but the, whatever, like if a man has three sons, he's going to divide his estate four ways. And that firstborn son gets a double inheritance. The others get a fourth. Um, so it's, so it's, um, you know, it's a system where, um, we, we define ourselves in relation to one another and men are the ones who prevail. Um, and it starts right away. You know, that's what is, is described that the impact of the fall is going to do. It's going to create the rule of men over women. That's the history of the world. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more, um, it's more intense in other, in some other cultures, you know, where women can't aren't even allowed to show their faces in public. Um, but the, the Bible, it is, um, it comes out of a patriarchal culture. And what I've come to see is that patriarchy is not the message. It's the backdrop to the message. So it, if if we un- the more we understand about patriarchy, the more radical and powerful the message of the Bible will appear to us. Um, one example that I give is the story of Mary of Bethany sit- sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus, which if it's taught here in America, where women go to. School, they go to university, they become professors. You know, it's really hard to get excited about that text. But if you take it to the Middle East, if you take it to Pakistan, where little girls are getting acid thrown in their faces for going to school and they're banned from their education um, because they want them to marry and start producing sons. Um, if you took that story and told it to girls in, in those cultures, they would absolutely love Jesus and what he's doing in that story. Mm. So it's a very you know but if you, if, if you understand how these patriarchal cultures work, then the message of the Bible becomes more potent. Uh, when women step out on the pages of scripture it becomes a huge deal more important more more radical and significant than it would be in our in our own culture
0: mm-hmm. I mean our culture limits our ability to understand some of those texts
2: well we've Americanized it and
0: right.
2: you know we, we we're always looking for an application instead of looking to see how God is, Revealing himself, or how the stories of people in the Bible um, show his love for them, and how he um, empowers them to do his work in the world is just you know just yeah.
1: So you talked about though that the Bible comes out of a patriarchal culture. So how do you see that? um, You know, in some ways, it seems like the Bible is. Part and parcel of a patriarchal culture, it it reflects that culture, and in some ways, it resists it. So, how do you kind of read the Bible in a way that you can pinpoint where it's? Does the Bible ever endorse a patriarchal culture or society? I guess is a question I would have for you in the in the way you read it, or is it is it all resisting patriarchy in its own way?
2: I think there are ways in which the Bible overtly dismantles it like primogeniture means the firstborn son is the most important um but you have in just in the book of genesis alone where god is choosing son number two he chooses jacob and not esai chooses isaac and not ishmael he chooses um judah who's number four and joseph who's number 11 he chooses david who's number seven which would, would just be outrageous in, in the patriarchal world. Um, so, you know, you have that where, you know, it, it's, it over, it's, it's overthrown. Um, if you look at the story of Jesus and how he interacts with women, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a violation of <laughs> the way things typically work in patriarchy you know you just um and it's over and over again where he has public conversations with women where um a man comes to him because his 12 year old daughter is dying who cares if a 12 year old daughter is dying but jesus drops everything and runs to turns out bringing her back to life um you know it's You know, these are just miracle stories to us. But if you told them in the patriarchal world, you know, like you have China where they had the one-child policy and everybody wanted boys. So if they had girls, sometimes they would, now they would abort them because they can, ultrasound helps them with that. But they would, they would, they would kill them. You know, it would just or just, uh, you know, throw them out. Um, so it's, yeah.
1: So you've mentioned several uh, implications where patriarchy is still overt and the Bible can speak to those contexts in Pakistan and China. What are the ways that you still see Americans engaging in patriarchy? It sounds, you know, listening to some others who talk about patriarchy and how it's, it's still in the church and other things like, it sounds like in some ways it's gone underground or maybe it's not as explicit or overt, but are there ways that the Bible can still speak to us in our sort of Americanized way where we're maybe not explicitly patriarchal, but do you still see some of that at play?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think our in our culture, we still we still have, even though we're more egalitarian and women, you know, have a, enormous rights in, in our culture, enormous rights and protections. Um, there's still patriarchy still at work, and um, you know it, it. It means women are still struggling in a lot of ways. Um, it means that there's race, racial um, racism, you know, that goes on where that you know it's it's patriarchy creates power pyramids where somebody's at the top. And there are a lot of people at the bottom. And um and our culture does that all over the place. Um, and I think you know that that part of the the difficulties are some of the things that Paul is saying in his um in his epistles to the church. Um And I love when he says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because he doesn't tell us everything. There are a lot of things we face in life where we're figuring it out and trying to do our best, understand, you know, how does the gospel work here? And I think a lot of what he's doing is actually very radical because in the first, the first century culture, he's taking the gospel into that culture and he's, He's not being um, explosive about how he's doing it, and just you know, rocking the boat. Um, he's trying. He's trying to ease it in. I mean, it's a culture where it depend totally depend on on slaves, and there were some people who were going to die as slaves. And he's instructing the church on on who they are in the body of Christ. And, you know, he's instructing Christian masters, which they wouldn't all have, that they have a master too, which would radically change how you behave towards your slaves. I mean, I think it's, you know, the gospel raises questions about how we live our lives and how we interact with others. And it doesn't give us Specific instructions for every little detail. We have to struggle with what it means to live the gospel in our relationships.
0: Yeah, the Bible doesn't just lay it out, so to speak. We have to work through it and think theologically and contextually, which is, and that context is getting bigger all the time because it's wherever we are, it's global. We can't just stay in our village anymore. And that just, I'm just, you know, as you're talking, Carolyn, I just keep going back in my mind to how inevitable it is to have to, it's a sacred responsibility to rethink our theology because of when and where we live. You know, this might not have been an issue, it, maybe it should have been, but it was an issue maybe 200 years ago, 300 years ago. But with the world that's gotten so small, I mean, we can't avoid these things. And what, I think what's important about what you're doing, I mean, there are many things, but I think one thing is that you were working very hard to root all this, not in, let's get over the Bible, but let's listen to what it's saying from an angle that doesn't privilege the male perspective.
2: Yeah.
0: Is that, I mean, am I representing you fairly when I put it that way?
2: Well, I think, you know, there's, there's things change when you bring more perspectives to the text and, um, You know, you just there. I mean, some of the things that I've been publishing in my work, when I talk to some of my friends who are professors, um, you know, sometimes they'll say, you know, I just never thought of that. And and part of that is because they're not women. (laughs) Well, right. Yeah. And there there are things that they see that I don't see. You know, so when you bring both of those perspectives together, you get a richer understanding of the text. And just like if you bring somebody in the conversation who comes from a different culture, you know, they, there are things that they'll see that you just would not see from your Western American point of view. Um, yeah. Families have a lot going on.
1: So, you know, I want to go back because it, something's ringing in my head about earlier when we talked, you you kind of started with talking about singleness and how you can feel lost when the church maybe in some ways presents your identity almost as, or your purpose as to be a spouse, you know, to be a wife, to be a mother, these things. And in some ways I feel like you know, I think of biblical texts of, uh, you know, the man's the head of the woman and these uh, things. But coming back to the identity issue, what, what's a better frame of reference that we can and pastors can? And, you know, when, you, when you're teaching students or, or talking in churches or talking to other Christians, how, what, what's the identity question? How do we get at a different set of identity questions when we're, when we're working through this? um does that make sense
2: it does it does because i mean i think that's that's what we're that's what we're looking for and you know if you're if your demographics define who you are you know there there are things about that 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 you can lose you know you're you're at risk if your if your identity is your job you know or your you know any 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 aspect of who you are, maybe the family you're in, or your um, socioeconomic situation, um, or your race, any of those things that define you, um, you know, can 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 create risk for you. And so, what I did was I went back to Genesis one and two because I wanted to know what the Bible said about me as a woman before the fall. And there are really big statements that God is making in the creation narrative about his sons and daughters. And, you know, it's just sort of um, such an abused part of scripture that we use to argue this about this and that and the other thing. And I just wanted to pay attention to those statements. And I didn't want to leave anyone out and I didn't want to leave out any season of a person's life. So I wanted to know what am I at birth that I'll be when, when I die. And the three things that I, and I focused on this for women, but it's, it's totally applicable to men as well. The first is that God created us to be his image bearer. Being God's image bearer comes with a mission. And that mission is first and foremost to know the God who made us so that we can understand who we're supposed to be like. But it also means that we speak up to him, that we're responsible for what goes on in his world. And the calling is outward toward creation, you know, that be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, rule and subdue. We tend to take as physical callings, which they are, but they're also spiritual and theological callings, you know, to live fruitful lives, to... Explore the earth's resources to cultivate and utilize and steward them Um, you know, it's a calling to all different kinds of careers and enterprises that human beings get involved in Um, So, you know, the, the the image bearer identity defines us by our creator and so it's it's not something anybody can take away from us, even if you are abused and um, mistreated or trafficked. You know, the atrocities that happen to you are worse because they are an affront to Almighty God.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, the second thing is that um, when God creates the man. Um, he, he says it's not good for the man to be alone. That's in the second chapter of Genesis. And one of my aha moments in my work was um, the study of the word azer, which is what God says he's going to do when he remedies the problem of the man's aloneness. I will make a, it's translated helper, I'll make an azer uh, suitable for him. Um, and the word "azer" was where I focused, and um, it's it's a word that's used 21 times in the Old Testament. It's usually translated "helper," um, and it's it's used more times for God as the helper of His people. It's 21 of the of the 21 times it's used 16 times for God, which sort of got an upgrade for the woman as a strong helper, as opposed to just any kind of helper but when I looked up all of those 21 words in the Old Testament there every time it appears in a military context you know it's, it's God is the shield and defense of his people there's that kind of language in every one of the 16 verses for God three three verse three times it's used for nations when Israel's under attack and wants the nations to send their armies to help them defend against um their opposition and the remaining two times in genesis it's used it's used for the woman Um, and when you look at the when you look at eden we talk about the garden of eden but eden was a war zone there was an enemy getting ready to attack and there were dangerous trees in that garden and the man is commanded to guard it and um, you know, they're going to rule and subdue, which means they're going to face opposition. And um, and I concluded from that, and there's lots of work that's been done on this and, um, you know, in some other research, but that the Aesir is a warrior, that the man needs a strong warrior with him in the battle. It's not because there's something... Wrong with the man, there's nothing wrong with him. he's he's a masterpiece. Um, but but the battle is so fierce and the scope of the mission is so enormous that he needs strength in the battle with him. Um, and I tell women and girls that God created them to be Azer warriors for His purpose. That they're God's image bearer. That they're Azer warriors. And the third thing is that He create when He created male and female to be His image bearers. He said He blessed them, and then He spreads this mission before them. And I call that the blessed alliance that He that He's so over and over again in Genesis 1 and 2, that he means for his sons and daughters to join forces for his purposes, that it's an alliance, it's a kingdom strategy. And, you know, this patriarchal way of operating totally disrupts that. And women are sidelines in, you know, patriarchy in its, in its most intense forms. turns Women into baby makers. They are supposed to produce sons for their husbands and it's all through the Bible where they're in pursuit of sons. Um, and so, you know, I think that we have a huge calling and a huge identity and it can't be taken away from us.
1: Well, I think that's a great place. Unfortunately, our time is, is coming to an end, but really appreciate those those three points, Carolyn, and and really talking about moving past patriarchy in the biblical narrative and in our churches and how we think about identities, especially for women and and those on the margin. But as we end our time here, is there a place that people can find you online or find the work that you're you're doing? Or just show up at your house. What's your address? <laughs>
2: My website. I'll give. Yeah. You okay.
1: Link. We'll leave it. At,
0: okay, oh, okay. That's that's safe.
1: You're you're probably. That's wise. for a second. That's yeah. for the second podcast. <laughs>
2: okay. My website is CarolynKestisJames dot com, and you can find information about me and a lot of what I've written there. Um, and of course, you can always read my books. I've written a lot about patriarchy in Maelstrom. Um, I think sometimes men are afraid of that book, but it's not a male-bashing book. It is absolutely um, amazing stories about men in the Bible that we've that we've overlooked, and um, I think the men that I know who have read it have been very affirmed by it. Um, and then half the church um, is a lot of what we've been talking about here. So the, those two books, at least, but there are others. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Right. Well, thank you again uh, for joining us. Just a a fascinating conversation, Carolyn. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so
0: much. We had a great time.
2: Well, thank you. It's a privilege.
1: Thanks again, everyone, for joining us for this episode of The Bible for Normal People with Carolyn Custis-James as we talked about moving past patriarchy. Again, you can find uh, her online at carolyncustisjames.com. Uh, you can look up some of the books that she's written on Amazon. Uh, Maelstrom, how the fall impacts males and and God's vision for men. Half the Church, which is a book about God's global vision for women. And uh, yeah, so follow along with what uh, she's doing. We'd also just invite feedback uh, of this podcast of any podcast really trying to create a conversation more widely than just the ones we have here on the podcast so you can do that at the bible you can sign up for a newsletter from the bible for normal people that that pete writes monthly or you can uh, support us on patreon at patreon.com front slash the bible for normal people where we have ongoing conversations through book studies the Patreon platform, uh, quarterly hangouts, and other conversations like our Slack group, a community of people who are connecting around the episodes and other questions they have about the Bible and faith, and what does it mean to read the Bible, and what, what is it, and what do we do with it? So check us out, patreon.com, front slash, people and thebiblefornormalpeople.com.